Welcome to the Intern Whisperer, the show all about the future of work. Today's Intern Whisperer tip of the week is just a reminder that for employers, when working with an intern, remember this is about a relationship. You want to invest in them just like any quality relationship and check out this interesting fact from a statistic from the Association of Training and Development that just came out in April. This statistic says that there are true benefits of investing in interns and employees. The top three benefits are mentoring is something that's being able to be received. And by participating in a mentoring program, the development of new perspectives increases 59%. Leadership skills increase 49% and insight as to what your organization does is 38%. So by mentoring it absolutely there is a return on investment there. So today's guest is Marilyn Brown, HAP for Hotels. And I want to welcome Marilyn to the Intern Whisper. Yay! Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for having me, Isabella. Oh, thank you. I'm so excited because we actually wanted to have a guest that was in your industry and we had not had anybody. So this is perfect. I'm so awesome. happy about this. So our show is all about education and the innovation in business and the future of industries and jobs. Tell us about your educational background and your work history. Sure. So I went to St. John's University and I received an undergraduate degree there in uh, communications. And I also had a minor in business focusing on marketing. So that is uh, essentially my educational background. That's perfect so, because those are the key degrees that you need, hospitality and marketing for being in obviously this industry. Right, absolutely. So interestingly enough, when I was in college, I had an amazing marketing and advertising professor, and I wanted to go into advertising. And when I graduated from college, I went on an interview and I had actually went to several interviews. Uh, I, at the time I was living in New York and I was interviewing for a number of advertising agencies, specifically in their copy department and account management. So I was sitting in the lobby waiting for my interview and there was a gentleman in the lobby that was applying for uh, a senior level position and him and I started talking and he started asking me all these questions about what I wanted to do, where I saw my career going. And I told him that I was really interested, like my long-term goal was to be the VP of marketing for some, you know, major Fortune 500 company. And he told me something that I never forgot. He said, you know, if you were my daughter, I tell you to get a job in sales. And I looked at him and I was like, sales, why sales? And he said, all good C-suite executives and business owners know how to sell. You know, that is the best advice. I'm not kidding. I've been doing this show now for three and a half years. And I think that is truly the best advice that I have ever heard too. I see sales as relational because people buy from people they trust. And it's not, I think that people have to reframe what that definition of sales means. So it's not a scary word in their head because so many people will say sales, just like you did, sales. Hmm. You know, they're thinking of 
whatever is in their head is like car salesman or it's pressure, pressure, pressure. And I hate to even say that about car salespeople because they don't wanna sell a car just to sell a car, hopefully. They wanna sell a car because they wanna have a returning customer and a repeating some type of a referral. So I feel that sales is relational. And when somebody feels that they have value from that person, then it does establish the ability to keep that customer going, oh, I will always want a Toyota or a Kia or a Mercedes Benz, right? Right, absolutely. I happen to believe that, again, like to your point, sales is all about creating relationships and adding value. Mm -hmm. um, so influencing, um, yeah. not influencing in a way of being manipulative, but yes. influencing in order to create value to people. I think that that is the key. Okay, Axel, we're going to use that quote in the any show promotion because that is an outstanding point to bring up when we're promoting your episode. Yeah, let's rethink the definition of what sales means and then also best mentoring advice ever. <laughs> and I sit here and I talk with a lot of students that are looking for internships or even just, you know, my customers and they go sales. No, I'm not sales oriented. I said, how did you get your spouse or your boyfriend or girlfriend? Really? Because you're selling yourself there. And how do you think you're getting a job? It's because you have to come across in a certain way. So you're still selling. And I think if people just reframe what that word means, it's less intimidating and not analytical as what they're thinking. Yes, you want a lot of real friends, but maybe not Facebook friends, you know, just like likes, that doesn't mean it's a real friend. Right, I yeah. agree. Yeah, quality. I love that, Marilyn, that's super good. All right, so playing softball at St. James University. St. John's, St. John's sorry. And then also tell me if you still play softball. Yeah, so my experience playing softball on a collegiate level at St. John's University was an amazing experience. I mean, playing softball and going to school full time was a challenge. Mm -hmm. It's hard. <laughs> I mean, you're, I remember like studying on buses and on planes for finals and, and midterm exams and writing papers, it's difficult for mm -hmm. sure. But it definitely taught me the importance of managing my time very effectively. Mm -hmm. It taught me the importance of discipline and playing collegiate level sports also gave me an insight in what it was like to create a real and deep, rich sense of camaraderie with mm -hmm women, young women that grew up under completely different circumstances that I did, right? You're spending so much time with people because um, you're traveling, you're going to school, you're, you're practicing, you're playing. I, I started initially when I remember when I showed up as a freshman, it was a girl from the South Bronx and I grew up in an area where the vast majority of people like looked like me, they dressed like me, they spoke like me, we listened to similar types of music, to going into an environment where no one looked like me, no one dressed like me, we didn't 
you know, we didn't look, we didn't eat the same type of food. So it was initially I, all I saw were the differences. And as I developed a, a sense of camaraderie and community with these, with these other women, I started to see how similar we were. So that was probably like the best experience I, I got out of, out of playing softball in college. And it also taught me how to take care of my body, how important it is to take care of my body. Oh yeah, and it shows. I've seen you in real life and you are definitely a person that does you know, have good health. And, and I don't think it's about body, that's not it, uh, like what we think of in, in American culture. It's like, you look healthy. You look like you take care of yourself you know, well. And I think that's what we want to exude is the message. I think that working in a, definitely in sports, I was a swimmer. And one of the things that I think that anything in sports teaches us is how to be a leader, how to be a good follower and how to work in teams. So the closeness that you mentioned about, you know, knowing the other women on the team, that's, you know, obviously leading right into that whole conversation because in a team, the team has to work like a machine and we don't want to have any mistakes, right? So you're also dealing with young women, right? Yes. So off the field, there could be a lot of cattiness and disagreements. It's just like, you know, the real world. Yeah, you're in a family of sisters and stuff happens in families. But when you step on on the field, all of that falls by the wayside. It's about we're playing together as a unit. You know, you and I could have some issues because, you know, you you took my toothbrush, you know, moving <laughs> together. <laughs> but, um, you know, when, when you step on the field, it becomes you just that mentality just switches. I agree. What I, I think is significant is I'm going to even still parallel that into the workforce, because one of the things that I tell people that work with me, I said, okay, we're going to disagree there and I'm going to get angry. You'll get angry. But the point is we still have to work together. So we need to be able to put that aside and go, okay, let's, let's talk through whatever the problem is and then learn from it and then make sure that we don't make that mistake again. Absolutely. Yeah. So there's always this parallel path that sports teaches us how to be successful in our job and our working world. I think that sports does that better than just about like, you know, clubs, not so much maybe in clubs. I don't see that same type of camaraderie, but I think fraternities and sororities, they try to emulate that same kind of a camaraderie of, of like, yeah, we've got, we're sisters or we're brothers. So we're here for each other. Anyway, that's super cool. Do you play softball just for fun, like an intramural or whatever? I used to, when I graduated, I played for a number of years. Actually, I stopped playing about four or five years ago, you know, starting a business and playing softball. It was just too big of a commitment. I, I know it does. I had to sacrifice something. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what we sacrifice when we're in a startup life. Yeah. It's like a personal life is, is gone for sure. So tell us about how you picked the name Hat for Hotels. Why this particular industry? That's interesting. And what's your startup story here? So do you want the long or the short version of this? Oh my goodness. <laughs> Take your time, be able to share it. Uh, I'd rather you get you know your story out there because 
You'll love that you shared your story when you keep this episode and you go back and say, yep, that's when it all was happening. Yeah, so when I graduated from college, I took that guy's advice and I started looking for a job in sales. And my mom's best friend at the time was a nurse. And she kept talking to me about pharmaceutical sales. And I just remember thinking, why would anybody possibly hire me to sell medication to doctors? Like I'm not, a, I wasn't a pre-med major. I have no idea how medicine and the healthcare industry works, but I applied anyway. And I got a job as a pharma rep. Um, I did that for about nine years and was laid off due to the financial financial crash of 2008-2009. After that, I spent some time in Peru selling biodiesel to construction companies, steel manufacturers, and fishermen unions, working with a nonprofit organization that was doing reconstruction projects in Peru to help people that had been devastated. Their homes had been, their homes and their communities had been devastated by an 8.0 magnitude earthquake. So I was, I was helping them fund their efforts by selling biodiesel to these companies. And I was uh, in Peru for about six or seven months. Then I came back to the States and thought really hard about going back to school to get an MBA. I tried, I applied to a couple different programs and I didn't get in. So a friend of mine who is a venture capitalist, who was also vegan, told me that he wanted to create a production company as a division of his venture capital firm. And I was interested in film and most importantly, like learning about finance. So I joined his operation for two years and I learned a lot about the fundraising process. And then I transitioned into the hospitality space. I worked for brands with Starwood in their specifically in their timeshare division. I wasn't a huge fan of the, the position, but I learned a lot about brand and more specifically like where hotels spend their money. I noticed while at Starwood that we were spending a lot of money on our marketing efforts with the type of clientele like business travelers and folks that had so much money and accumulated SPG points that they could get their very own butler. But we weren't really focusing on people that could only afford to travel once or twice a year, you know, that were staying at our lower level, non-full service properties. So from Starwood, I transitioned into working as an independent contractor for a third-party company that was doing the, the marketing for Hilton Hotels. So that gave me a territory. And I worked with owners and general managers of Hilton properties that were franchised. That gave me an opportunity to build my network in the hospitality space and specifically get to know what happens on the ground with these general managers and the owners of these properties. And it was there where I actually got the idea to develop an app. And the idea for the app came because I heard so many people from corporate 
and how they were pressuring the general managers and the owners of these properties to have these guests sign up for loyalty programs. So I just remember thinking, no one's going to sign up for a loyalty program if they're not, if they don't feel like they're being catered to or being made to feel like their concerns are being heard or that you even care about them. So I, I remember thinking, what if I could come up with a platform that would be easily customizable and fairly inexpensive to the, to the hotel, but could provide that same level of customer service and help enhance the guest experience to the hotel guest. You know, perhaps if they were utilizing software like this, then guests would sign up for loyalty programs happily. So that's where the idea for Hap for Hotels came. And honestly, like the, the name came because I went out to dinner with a friend and I was talking to her about this idea. And I said, I'm interested in, in developing an app, but I don't know any app developers. I have no idea where to start. And at the time she was dating an app developer an engineer. And she said, you know, I'm going to introduce you to my boyfriend. And him and I had a couple calls. And afterwards I decided, you know what, I'm going to go full steam ahead with this. And it got to a point in the development process where they were like, Marilyn, we, we need a name. We need a logo. And I just remember thinking, what if I just named it hotel app, hotel app? What about HAP? And it just kind of came to me that way. I was wondering if that was why it was called that, you know, hap, but I was also thinking happy. I was thinking of the word happy and I was going, well, you know, happy to be in a hotel, happy I, because I was trying to figure it out myself and I was going, I really would like to, you know, know the story, but it makes so much sense. Hotel app, H-A-P-P. -P. Yeah. And the reason I didn't just keep it hap was at the time there was an, uh, there was another app in the app store named HAP. Oh. Um, so I wanted to distinguish my app from theirs. So I added the four hotels. Mm, yeah, yeah, you definitely would because otherwise you guys could be merging traffic. Mm -hmm. It could be very confusing. So yeah. Did you choose the word, the word for F-O-R or the number four? HAP number four hotel. I chose four, F, the word. The word. F yeah, that makes sense too, because it'd be like, why is there a four? You know, it's like Motel 6 kind of thing. <laughs> right. Yeah. Anyway, well, that's a really, really interesting. Now, your app is available where? It's available on both app stores, Google Play and also the App Store. Cool. All right. Just so our listeners know where to find it too. Your particular customer, who is your customer for this app? Is it a two-sided market? Well, my marketing strategy and sales strategy really revolves around the, the general manager and the owner of the hotel, sometimes the director of marketing, but I, I have really like a B2B play and I depend on the hotel to properly market and sell their app to their customer. So my ideal target market for this is general managers and owners that are not just looking for an additional amenity to offer to their guests, but they're looking at the app 
and the platform as a way for them to solve problems. Mm. So I can actually implement certain features in the app to help hotel staff solve operational issues, maintenance issues, customer engagement issues, uh, customer service issues, uh, negative third-party reviews, you could really use the app as a preventative measure. So, you know, my way of thinking has always been, if you want to elevate the customer experience, you have to engage your customer. And you'd be surprised how many C-suite individuals don't actually know what's happening with their customers. No, I am not surprised. <laughs> I am like yourself, a startup. And so many of the things, you know, because I've kept my, my pilot to a hundred or less employers, you know, we're, we're a little over halfway to that hundred mark. And the goal is to hit, you know, the hundred by the end of this month, honestly. And so we're testing it out and I've always told them, Hey, you know, your membership, it's going to be for a year, but you get extra months because we're still figuring out our processes. And I'm going to tell you, I know stuff is going to break. I expect it to break and I want you to know it will too. And I want you to give me as much honest feedback because that's money to me, just like sales, right? Tell me what's sure. wrong with it. Tell me what it didn't do. And so we can fix it and make it better for the scaling purpose. And I guess I want to give a shout out real quick here to also Avalon, how we met is through Avalon Parks program, which a year ago we were applying for this and we found out, I think it was in April, maybe, that we were accepted. And so here it is, you know, a year later, this is how we met is through Avalon's program. Yeah, that's crazy. It actually, is crazy. I, actually, I think it was a little later. I think maybe it was like end of Q3. I think you're right. I think it was, yeah. Well, no, I think, didn't we know we were in, but we couldn't actually move in and we didn't actually start? I don't know. It's irrelevant. It was new for them too, is the point. They're trying to figure it out. Yeah, they're trying to figure it out too. Yeah, yeah. And then we got to go and work out of the fifth floor. So, you know, there's always delays in development of anything for sure. But it turned out to be a really nice space. Yeah, it is. Fifth floor is gorgeous. Just a little shout out for them. Based out of Basel, Switzerland, they brought one over here, but they're in San Juan, Puerto Rico, Sydney, Australia, Singapore, which I was geographically challenged and learned that is actually a country. I did not know that. So I hadn't traveled there. And then of course, Basel, Switzerland, but they are expanding across the US. Really high-end upscale co-working space for sure. So do you live out there by chance? Is that your area of your stomping grounds? I actually live about 25 minutes from here. From Me Apple. too. Yeah, I'm over by the, the 417 right off of Lee Vista. Mm, I'm closer to you. I'm in the um, downtown Orlando area, about six miles from downtown proper. So yeah, we're, we're probably more neighbors than where we are out there. Uh, Axel's over on our side of town too. Oh, okay. He, uh, and I'm just, now just so our listeners know, I've asked him to stay on mute just because his audio isn't as as good as crisp as I'm looking for on the show. But he is a recent graduate from UCF. So a little round of applause for him also. A little Congratulations. Yeah. yeah. So he is graduating and he's thinking he wants to be in ad 
acting. So he came on to the show to learn more about podcasting as a, as a very similar industry to broadcasting and okay. to get himself celebrity status. It's his first week in his second day. <laughs> so he had to learn all about your company as part of his initiation phase. Oh, congrats. Okay. So he had this question. This is one of his questions. Tell us about how you aided a film project like Angel Investor and other business firms. So tell me about that one. Because I, my question to him was, what does that have to do with a company? And I, I mean, I know the answer, but I don't know if he knew the answer. So how did I aid? Tell us about how you aided a film project like an Angel Investor and other business firms. Yeah, so when I was working with a friend that was a, that's a venture capitalist, he's vegan. And he read two books that com completely shifted his mindset. And the day after reading these books, he decided to become vegan. I believe uh, the books were called uh, The China Study and A Diet for a New America. Mm, I've heard about the first one. Okay. So he was looking to produce a documentary based on the content in these two books. And in order to produce the, the documentary with the, with the production company that he was looking for, I think the fundraising effort, I think it was about 350,000. So as a kind of, let's throw Marilyn into the fire, um, he just kind of gave me a business plan and said, hey, read this. There's also a subscription agreement that he gave me. And he said, read this. And he's like, okay, so go and find the funds. Holy cow, that's hard to do. So I got a crash course on how to do fundraising. I had no idea where to start. What I did was I started to do like these random searches on LinkedIn. And at the time, link, the LinkedIn platform was very new. I don't even think LinkedIn knew what they were at that no, point. No, they didn't. Nobody does at that time. When <laughs> so I was doing these general searches for investors, investors interested in these types of projects. And I would just cold call people. And I would send them messages through LinkedIn. I got an idea to reach out to the production company, the publishing house that published these books to see if they knew any investors that were interested in these types of films. It was a lot, a lot of cold calling. Good and thing then, that you were not a baby because you had already been told by that gentleman so many years ago that you should not be afraid of sales. And you picked up that phone and started going, you are my superhero. I am not kidding. I'm sitting there going, oh my God, I have a crush on you. <laughs> so I was like, you know, oh, not afraid to cold call. Oh no. So, you know, even though I was a pharmaceutical rep, I had experience in sales, you know, as a farmer rep, you're not really cold calling. I mean, the, the company gives you a list of doctors and hospitals, and you know that those are your accounts, right? So you go yeah. into these accounts, but these people, I mean, I was just trying to find them. And then the scariest part was, you know, sometimes like, I think 
if someone's number or email is posted on LinkedIn, what are the chances that these people are going to call me back or even pick up the phone? And Isabella, like I would call these numbers and people would answer. And I would think, what what am I going to (laughs) say? Oh my God. That's before people went, no, I'm not going to answer the phone, I guess. That's crazy. And they answered the phone. I met a lot of investors. I met a lot of like high quality producers that were producing projects that had stars involved like Denzel Washington. No way. Yeah, it was wild. And I was just doing LinkedIn searches and calling and emailing people. I met investors that were in the tech space and in solar and they just, you know, loved film and they were looking at, you know, a hundred thousand dollar checks is nothing. So yeah, that was really my experience. And now I was able to leverage the experience that my partner had because he had an established private equity company. So when they would do research, I always told them that I was affiliated with his private equity company. So that leverage was super helpful. I don't think it would have worked very well if it was something that I was doing on my own. Mm -mm. No. <laughs> but I was, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I was very grateful in, in that respect. But yeah, that's, that's essentially how I got that experience. Okay, Axel, that was the best question asked ever. So good job on that one. Because I almost was going to toss that one out, but I went, you know what, I'm going to leave it because I want to see what the answer is. And I thought it was going to be connecting like angel investors, you know, to like your business now. But in hindsight, I'm sure you realize that it did prepare you to talk to investors in this, you know, chapter of your life. It did. Obviously, like, I'm not afraid of phone calling. Nowadays, I feel like there's a definite barrier to entry with cold calling. I don't think it, it was as efficient now as it is back then. I think you, you know, you need a different strategy right yeah. now, but yeah, I mean, I'm definitely not afraid to go to conventions and conferences cold or walk into someone's office and, you know, not have a clue and just kind of figure it out while I'm in there. Yeah, I'm the same as you. I I can do live networking on the ground and walking into offices and things like that pretty easily, pretty easily. I'm going to say I'm about 85% effective with that, just because I think there's always room for me to have improvement. The picking up the phone and calling is an art. So you should be teaching us how to do that <laughs> as a webinar or something down at our Avalon group. <laughs> yeah, and if you're a really good salesperson, you're going to charge us to walk in the door, even if it's $5. <laughs> and throw a $5 snack at us because they know that they're there if they're paying money, right? right. $5 granola bar. There you go. <laughs> Oh my God. That is like, that is an awesome story. Good job, Axel. Thank you. Yeah. All right. So before COVID, let's talk about your business before COVID. And then let's talk about how it changed after COVID. 
I know that in the after side, we had a, a brainstorming call, our Avalon cohort group, as to what do we do now? So how was it before COVID? Before COVID, I know that in the hospitality space, a lot of the meetings that I had regarding implementing technology and software, I felt like I was hitting my head against a brick wall. So many of people in corporate hospitality mm -hmm. structures were so resistant to technology and mm -hmm. their technology was seriously like 10 years behind. It was very, it was challenging to say the least. Actually, COVID has been a bit of a blessing and a curse, right? Mm -hmm. COVID has really shown this industry how critically important it is for them to evolve with the times and evolving with the times means adapting and implementing technology. So they're starting to see the importance of it. Mm -hmm. You know, the only downside to that though is the discretionary income isn't necessarily there. But the great news is they're finally starting to see how important implementing technology to their operations, to the customer relations side, to guest engagement, like how important this stuff actually is. Now we're in, you know, post-COVID. And when it was just, again, this was, I think, the first of the year, maybe. I don't know when we were doing this. It was brainstorming because I remember us going, okay, how could you reach out? Were we, would a good partnership be the um, Airbnb? Would it be some type of like, I think somebody threw out their homeowners associations. There was like, where would your app fit in the best? And we were doing all of those types of brainstorming things. How did that work out? Well, I'm definitely looking into retreat centers. Oh, that's um, a great idea. And I'm looking at retreat centers, not even for, I understand that it's not necessarily about people staying on property and the retreat center having accommodations, mm -hmm. but just being like the retreat center, just being able to communicate events and activities going on to their guests, regardless if they're staying in a local hotel or an Airbnb down the street. It's really just about effective communication and being able to market their amenities and their services to their guests, regardless of where they're staying. So that's something that I've definitely started to implement. The homeowners associations, not so good. What I'm finding though is independent hotel properties, meaning like independent hotel properties that are not, they don't fall under necessarily a brand umbrella have been a, a great resource for me simply be, because they're not dealing with all the corporate bureaucracy to implement software like mine. They essentially just have a group of owners and those owners can make decisions. Whereas, you know, a, a franchisee operating under the marquee of a Marriott or a Hilton still has to go through corporate approval to implement certain things on their property. I mean, I, I think that your app is definitely different than like booking.com and things like that. I, I would presume that people may see that as a competitor, but you know, that's not necessarily, I, I would think that hotels and any of the tourism establishments like Airbnb, 
if they were to use your service that they would definitely benefit because it's just another channel maybe for them to be able to reach people. But I remember when you were talking about what your product does is what's great is that it can be white labeled. And for listeners that don't know what white labeling means, you know, it's being able to put a skin on it. So it looks like it's all them. It's like all Hilton. It's not going to say half perhaps, you know, it's going to be totally all about them. So it's just another way to capture market share. Right. And the thing that I try to stress, you know, this was something, so my value proposition or my sales pitch, when I went into a lot of the meetings that I had with, you know, senior executives at uh, brands like Hilton and, and Marriott and Wyndham was you guys, they would all tell me, but we have our own app. And I would tell them, yes, you're right. You do have your own app. But you have to realize that your app is geared around the fact that you're losing reservations. So just to clue your audience in on something, every time a guest doesn't book through the Hilton portal and books through a third-party OTA, an online travel agent like Expedia, Hotels.com, Orbitz, TripAdvisor, that hotel loses 24% of the reservation. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So what these brands went ahead and did was they said, let's create our own app so that people download it and they're booking through our app. So we retain a hundred percent of the booking. Yep. Right. But what they don't realize is not everybody is a Hilton honors member. That is not everybody is going to amass 500,000 SPG points because they're traveling three times a week. You know, the vast majority of the population out there are booking through OTAs. They're, yep. they're booking through Expedia and, and TripAdvisor and Travelocity, yep. right? But that's your main focus. You're playing defense in, instead of playing offense. And I like the, the sport analogy too. You snuck that one right in there. <laughs> All habits die hard, right? Yeah, it's good though. But the, the offensive strategy I'm offering is, listen, I do two things really well. I do communication really well and guest engagement. So if you want to engage your customer and be able to solve problems while your guest is on property, I can help you do that. If you want people to download your app in high percentiles, I'm your gal, right? Because with these apps industry-wide, I don't care if it's from Wyndham to Hilton, customer engagement rates are less than 12%. Wow. With the properties that I work with, customer engagement rates average at 85%. Some of my properties are averaging at 92%. Oh my God, that alone should be, okay, Axel, when we're creating the other post, that's another thing that we should highlight, you know, like why a hotel should sign up with HAP for apps. Like that is that one statistic right there is everything. That's huge. Okay. So just like a, a wealth of great information. Thank you. Yeah. Well, I'm going to take a little break here. We're going to acknowledge our sponsor and then we're going to jump back into the show. 
The Intern Whisperer is brought to you by Cat5 Studios, who help you create games and videos for your training and marketing needs that are out of this world. Visit Cat5 Studios for more information to learn how Cat5 Studios can help your business. Thank you, Cat5 Studios. Back to our show. Our show is all about internships and the future of work. So let's talk about the future of work now. What do you predict the future of work, your industry, we'll talk about tourism, hospitality, hotels, any of those things. What do you think that's going to look like five to 10 years from now? I really if People have shots. We should be traveling, right? Right. I really do think that not only the hospitality industry, I think industries across the board are going to start implementing technology. And unfortunately, that means more automation of things. Yep. So your, you know, lower level salary jobs, I think they're going to fall by the wayside, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. You know, your and 12, $15 an hour jobs are going to be eclipsed by AI or some sort of robots. Uh, yeah. You have, so, what is that little thing that Roomba that can go and vacuum a room? I'm yeah. sure I can see something like that, a robot coming in and doing a- It's, it's yeah. already happening. Okay, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, some hotels are actually beta testing housekeeping robots. So I definitely think that those jobs are going to fall by the wayside. Now, where I- do think that there's an opportunity to thrive is to come up with creative solutions to problems. Mm -hmm. That's where I think that people like your listeners that are working on their grad, their undergraduate and graduate degrees, that's where they need to start thinking. How can I look at problems that major corporations, small business owners, medium-sized companies, how can I take the problems that these guys are facing and create creative solutions to them? There's a couple of examples that I pulled up. Um, this was a competition. I'm going to you know, read from their show notes here. But this was very, very interesting to me. The Hospitality Business Administration program that was in Brighton, they had a double degree program. You know, it's all British, so they spelled differently than us for these students where they were doing poster presentations on what do they think their industry hospitality would look like, you know, definitely 2030. Like that's how I Googled it. There were two different ways of seeing how it could um, come through. So the students divided into groups and they were you know, deciding what would it look like in 2030, like I said. So one group proposed that by using augmented reality, guests will be in the future, guests in the future will be able to experience hotel rooms and tourist attractions before booking them by way of some special glasses, you know, like Oculus or whatever. And I can see that definitely happening. I mean, it should, because we have like the Zoom, it can do a 360, obviously. So, you know, they're replicating that type of experience. But to actually feel like you're in it is way different, not just seeing it with your eyes. The other thing they said is with the virtual reality feature of the glasses, guests will not just be able to do a booking, but actually see the hotel room in advance. Guests will know exactly what they are getting, leading to greater satisfaction. And with tourist attractions, the glasses will enable another layer of information such as reviews, crowd level, 
or by suggesting landmarks where the tourist is providing that historical context. Do you see that happening too? I mean, I absolutely do. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's, it's as close as five years, but I would definitely say 10. The corporate model, I mean, they, they take a little bit longer to kind of implement things. I mean, they're just getting around to adapting to apps uh-huh. <laughs> right now. So I don't think the virtual reality will hit in five years, but I would definitely predict at least, you know, 10 to 12 years. So there's this also place of Star Wars and Star Trek, right? So in Star Trek, you know, it's beam me up, Scotty, boom, and you're there. So aside from virtual reality, I'm kind of thinking that it's going to be, oh, you want to know what it is? You can be beamed and then put over there so you can actually experience it. And then they send you back. Like that would be how I could see something like, you want to actually be there? Let's make that happen. And then they beam you back. I am so <laughs> sure that will happen. I, I mean, they're already doing space trips, right? So yeah, you want to go into outer space? That's kind of like, how much money do people pay for that? But I can see it happening. That leads me into the next one, which was imagining the future of hospitality as a walk in the stars is what it was called. So the other group of students, they were saying that the hospitality sector would have developed at such a pace that there would be space hotels and that would be the reality. I, we're already knowing they're doing that stuff, right? So space tourism is an exciting concept, which many people dream about, but this is gonna be taking it to a whole nother level. Turning space travel into something that's actually doable is gonna be very, very costly. So it's going to be a billion dollar business. They're saying it's a hundred billion dollar business industry on earth alone. So being able to go into outer space, that means it's going to, because you know, people will pay that. There's going to be people that would say, yeah, I want to, I want to go to Mars. I would, as long as I know that it's fast, right? Like I don't want to spend years in a spaceship with people. I want to know it's like zip fast. Yeah. But I mean, I think that's definitely going to be like, the top one percent of one percent you know if you oh, have yeah. elon musk kind of money like yes. you're gonna be yeah. vacationing on mars right? yes. or bill and millen um whatever right. gates yeah. yeah because he's the most wealthy man in the world supposedly but you know now that they're getting divorced uh, it's gonna yeah now that they're, I thought he was fourth. I think uh, Jeff Bezos is number oh, one. Oh, no, you're right. You are right. It is Jeff Bezos. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. Anyway, that is crazy to me to be able to think about how that would look. But, you know, coming from COVID, you know, I was also looking at to see, well, what are those job opportunities going to look like? And then, you know, how, how are, what are some resources that the, this industry can benefit from. And in COVID, you know, we've seen these packages come through, these stimulus packages to help them get back on their feet. So does that even include like your kind of technology? I would think that that's something that they would be interested in. Well, no, uh, unfortunately. The money that they're getting from these stimulus packages is just essentially going to help them stay above water, you know, keep the the lights on. Many of the general managers that are still in their positions, a vast majority of them actually have been laid off or furloughed. They're operating on skeleton crews. Mm. Um, 
they're really hoping that this upcoming summer will be different, that it'll, it'll help get them back into the black, but they're still in recovery mode. Oh, yeah. That's going to be for a while. I anticipate that being for quite a while. Yeah, because one of my friends was going to book, she was wanting to book a flight from here to Texas. She wanted to go and see her kids for Mother's Day. And it's normally a $238 on South Southwest. Well, it was a thousand dollars. And it was, and I said, well, are you trying to do it during like peak travel days? Is that like Friday through Sunday or Friday through Monday? She said, no, she would always go several days before she had tried to book in advance. It is not, it is like, that is the cost right now. So there's that to deal with. But transportation, you know, going to spring break, I don't know if spring break actually impacts the economy because kids still want to get away. But even still with COVID now, schools were providing, I had read about this, that schools were providing students with $1,000, like just a, a gift, stay in place, we'll just keep you here and keep you safe. And that money spoke to them, but they, if they left, it would speak to me. Yeah. Well, you know, we're not in school right now. So. <laughs> yeah. I would have taken that thousand dollars too, but you had to prove that you were there and you had to be able to prove that you were staying, you know, in place. There were some parameters around it to keep it so that it was safe for sure. But they have those types of incentives for, for people. But the job market, like, what do you think that job market would be? I think that there's going to be more need for people to fix the robots in the hotels, right? And that means some skilling and upskilling there. I definitely think that. But I, I also think, you know, it's an opportunity for us to get creative. Really, like, universities should should really change the way they edu- they start to educate their students so that their students are becoming more versed in critical thinking. And oh my goodness, yeah. Challenges and problems from a different perspective. Because essentially as a, an entrepreneur, that's what you're doing. Yes, yeah. Right? You have to look for the problems. And I'm very focused on the problems. Some people might think, oh, well, you know, it's like, tell me what I did right And I like to focus on the problems because I can go, okay, let's find a solution for this so that, you know, it moves it along because I'm not going to tell somebody like what they do wrong. I know people can tell me what I do wrong as a product, you know, and as the owner of a product, I sit here and I go, well, no, tell me, tell me how to fix it because I really want to listen to that instead of being offended. I think so many people get offended when they receive criticism Instead of seeing it as an opportunity to improve and to accelerate that is really key. I could not agree with you more about critical thinking. The six key skills that like my platform is designed around is critical thinking, problem solving, creativity, research, time management, and communication skills. So, you know, those are the skills that six 21st century skills that Interim Pursuit is there to provide to employers as well as students. And this turned out in a customer discovery call this weekend. I was talking with one of the employers and he had said that he did not realize how much he relied on his student because they talked to each other every day. He said it's now where he's a developer and she's been working on some pieces of some of the code structure inside of the platform. And if those people have not, the other developers have not done what they're supposed to do without 
this intern that's with him, he said, they're not getting paid. He relies on her that much. And so it's been a phenomenal experience on that side because he really realized that by working with an intern, it opened up performance gaps, you know, in himself, as well as also gaps within processes. And now he, he and I had talked some more and he has a, a nonprofit group, professional group, and he realized he was not spending as much time with that intern because I said, well, as we were discussing it more, it's like, well, maybe because that one isn't your paycheck. And so you see it as a volunteer role. So maybe you didn't spend as much time with that student for that reason. He goes, you know what? You're absolutely right. I didn't make this right. So he had wanted to go and improve that whole experience. And now he's going to become a customer too. And he said, yep, let's go ahead and have interns work with, you know, five of my developers and let's test this all out. And so he's a very forward thinking person. I found that to be really helpful and it ties to exactly like what you were just saying about having critical thinking skills, because it's really important no matter where you are in that level of growth in your professional path, there's always room for improvement. And there's always room to realize, I do not know it all. And, you know, working with other people, different ethnicities, if you will, it's a small world and working remotely, it actually does challenge us with our problem solving skills to, to be better. Well, what other, other than people fixing robots and maybe people that can, robots, I've seen this also where they bring you your food to the table and using my app, when I go and book something, you know, I can do it very easily. I can pay for everything and do it just as easily that way. But do you think that there's any other technology or AI issues? Because I would think that the data that we collect through this is going to be very significant as to what kind of people travel and how to really refine that marketing of your product or the hotels to those people. I think the actual data portion is significant. Collecting data, just like anything, is a huge value proposition. It's, uh, you know, essentially that's what makes, you know, these social market, these social media platforms so valuable. They've grown at scale is the data that they collect, from mm. the, you know, from the guests, from their, from their users and how they use that data to create business frameworks. So for sure, I definitely see hotels going the same way, but in order for them to go the same way, I think that they definitely need to stop playing defense and start to take a step back and, and play more of an off offensive game. I agree. Well, we have come to the end of our show, but how can our listeners contact you? You want to share your website? I know we showed it earlier, so that'll come up on the video side of our podcast, but email, how can people find you, Marilyn? Sure. My website is uh, www.hackforhotels.com. My email address is Marilyn, M-A-R-I-L-Y-N at HAP, H-A-P-P, for for hotels with an s.com you guys can also find me through linkedin super good so i also want to thank our production team axel who is our new intern joining us this week as an associate producer steve niece who handles video audio editing 
Nala Ellie, who is also our video auditing editing intern. And we want to say thank you to all of our listeners and viewers uh, for continuing to support our show. And Marilyn, this has been delightful. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Isabella, for inviting me. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Oh. Thank you.